this Sunday, as I mentioned, it's our Advent series, and it's called He Shall Be Called. Or Yeah, He Shall Be Called. It's up there. Uh, Advent simply means the arrival of a notable person or a thing. And so we know that to be the person of Jesus. And so we celebrate the things that this person has brought that are unique, that are actually transformative to our world, and that uh, actually what nobody else can bring. And so there's four things that we discuss over this time. And our first Sunday, we're going to be talking about hope. And so uh, hope at Christmas, right, it brings a lot of remembrance uh, to myself of my past Christmases. Uh, I can remember, uh, like, my, being the son of my, or the age of my oldest son. Uh, he's 12, and he's kind of in that stage right now where he, he's asking if he's like, well, you know, I'd like some Lego, but, you know, I, I would also like some clothes, too. And so we've entered that stage uh, where he cares about what he looks and smells like. Uh, and so and he's asking for, like, some shoes. He'd be like, oh, it'd be nice to get some nice pants and, like, things I never thought he'd ask for, you know, because he's constantly wearing the same shorts over and over again. But um, I remember myself at that age. I remember like hitting that age where I was like, you know what, I care what I look like because uh, there's this thing called, there's girls and you know, like I want them to like me. And so, uh, and I thought the first step was to dress better. Um, And so I remember asking my parents for clothes one Christmas. Up to this time, like the only thing I've received was toys and uh, they were well used and I enjoyed it a lot. And so I was expecting some clothes this Christmas and I remember opening gift after gift after gift, and it just being toys and toys and more toys. And I remember thinking, actually, I, I broke, the, I cried. And so I'm like laying it all out here. There was tears. There weren't happiness. There were tears of disappointment. Uh, and I was like, how can I impress somebody, you know, of the opposite gender? You know, I want them to come over and play with my Nerf guns or my football figures. Like, it just wasn't going to work. And so... I had this great deal of hope that Christmas, and that's what Christmas does. It, it ignites hope within us. Uh, it's, a, it's a time where hope seems to re- be restored in people and in humanity. And so there is this belief that the spirit of Christmas will bring out the best in people. And when, like we see it in movies. We'll watch the Christmas shows. Uh, I mean, you, I'm not sure when you started. Maybe you started two weeks ago, or maybe you haven't started yet. But you know, Scrooge's heart, it will change. Uh, George Bailey, he'll turn his life around. The Grinch, he will, he will return Christmas back to the Who's. Uh, Rudolph, you know, he gets to fly the sleigh. And of course, you know, John McClane single-handedly takes out a group of terrorists and die hard with a single gun. <laughs> this is what Christmas is obviously all about, I guess. I don't know. Um, but we see this with Christmas starting so early now, right? I feel like each year it's getting pushed back or pushed, it's starting a bit earlier than it did the year before. And we could say it's because businesses want, uh, to, begin us, or want us to begin to buy early, which is very true. They want us to, you know, to buy things right away. But they can only start something if the emotion is in it. So they can only, like, really, they work off of the emotion that we have, that we love Christmas, and, you know, it brings out joy and hope and all these things, and so they, bought, they, they can then work with that. Easy marketing, right? And so they start it earlier and earlier. We see Christmas trees are right there with Halloween direction, uh, decorations, and so it's crazy, but at Christmas, there's this belief that hope will come true. Their wishes will finally come uh, to real life. And right now, we cling to hope. We think about the state of our world right now. We think about COVID, right, and everything we're working through and navigating through with that. I was talking with Barry even before we started a service here, and it's like you get your hopes up that maybe, you know, it's something 
change in two or three months, but then the opposite thing happens and it feels like we've regressed back. And then the state of our culture, right? And then people are hoping to get back home to their houses after they've been affected by floods. Maybe they're last night hoping that the rains that were coming down weren't going to cause more damage. We live for hope. And I can go as far as I believe to say this, that it is impossible to live without hope. Now, let's look back to our story in Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7. Uh, and if you have your Bibles, feel free to open them to turn there. Uh, if not, it's going to pop up on the screen here. I'm just going to read it again for us, though. Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So here's a little bit of the context of what's happening here in Isaiah. Uh, all the nations in the Middle East were getting really uptight because Syria was beginning to rise to power, and they were getting nervous about what was actually going to happen to them, the nations that were in ad adversaries to Assyria. And so what did they do? So the thing that they were going to do was form an alliance together. And so they wanted to form an alliance with Israel and Syria, those who were feeling the oppression. So they wanted Jerusalem's king in on it. And this king was King Ahaz. Ahaz did not want to go in, though, onto this deal. He didn't want to actually go and work with these other nations. So the other nations threatened to invade Jerusalem and put a new guy in the power seat instead of Ahaz. They're like, if you're not going to join with us, we're just going to come in, we'll dethrone you, we'll put somebody else in. And so the army started putting uh, plans together to make this happen. So obviously Ahaz doesn't want this to happen. He starts to freak out. And at that time, the king of Assyria, though, he comes to Ahaz and offers protection if he would actually join forces uh, with the Assyrians. And the Assyrians, they were brutal. And so this was not going to be a good plan. Ahaz, he had no clue what he should do. He's feeling the pressure. And so then God sends a messenger, a prophet by the name of Isaiah, to help him. And so God sends the prophet Isaiah and tells him, listen, don't worry about the alliances. Don't worry about it. I will protect you. I, I got you. Which should, right, it should be reassuring. A prophet comes, he tells you, God, God, he gives you an answer. You know what? God will protect you. Don't do this. But Evidently, Isaiah could tell from Ahaz's expression that he was still worried. So he said to Ahaz, he's like, don't worry, Ahaz. Like, God will give you a miraculous sign to prove he'll protect you just if you just trust him, if you just trust him. So again, you think Ahaz would be excited about this. Now he's going to give me a sign. This is spectacular. 
a sign proving that God is with him. But instead, he's like, actually, Isaiah, don't do that. Please don't do that. Because evidently, he thinks, if God gives me a sign, then I'll have to obey him. <laughs> so Isaiah says, oh, you don't want a sign because if you get a sign, you feel obligated to obey. Well, God still wants to give you one anyways. And so here's your sign. Isaiah 7:14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give, you, give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Now, the word Emmanuel, for most of us, we know it means God with us. And so when they would have heard of this, they would have thought, you know, this is kind of like the craziest idea, God with this. Because what they've experienced with God up to this point is that God's presence is in the Ark of the Covenant. Only the priest can go into the Ark of the Covenant. And even when the priests went into the Ark of the Covenant, they had to have a rope tied around their ankle because the glory and the presence of God was so powerful that some wouldn't make it out alive. And so they would then pull the priest out, right? And we even, we see Moses, right? He wanted to see God. And God's like, my glory will just burn you up. And so God hides him in the cleft of the rock and simply passes by, and that's enough. And so this idea, mind-blowing, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us? This was supposed to bring Ahaz much hope, that someone was coming and was going to be with them, someone whose present was immaculate. So here's what happens. Ahaz, he ends up rejecting all the advice and the signs, and he joins an alliance with the Assyrians, which obviously backfires. And later, as they come against him, and down the road, he's dethroned. Then he starts going crazy and offering up sacrifices to all their kinds of gods and idols and of all the nations, hoping and praying for one of them to come to the rescue, to help him, to help his people. When it's all said and done, Jerusalem's king Ahaz leads his people back into idolatry and back into exile. See, the word for hope in the Old Testament means is kavah. It's going to pop up there, I hope. Here it is. There it is, kavah, which means to wait. So it's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. And when you pull a cord or a kav tight, you produce this state of tension and this state until there's this release. And so there's this tension in the word hope in the Old Testament, waiting for something. You're feeling it. You're waiting. You're hoping, right? And we resonate with that word, and we use that word a lot in its context. We're hoping for something, which means we're waiting. We're feeling the tension for something. So that's kavod, the feeling of tension and an expectation while you wait for something to happen. And we feel that. I'm sure you maybe even feel that right now. Maybe you're thinking of a situation right now where you feel the tension and you're hoping and waiting for an answer. And you're even asking yourself, Jesus, when are you going to show up? And when are you going to do something in this situation that I'm going through right now? I feel like the core is going to break. I feel like it's going to bust. I don't know how much longer I can stand this tension. The beauty of this story is that we can see that our hope is present. So, in, is, in the period of Israel's prophets, as the nations were sinking into self-destruction, Israel said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. I will hope for him. I will wait for him. And the only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope of God himself, that he would come. So, what does this story tell us? What is the message of this story? Obviously, the first message is of hope. Ahaz, he had failed them. He had failed the people. 
But here's what Isaiah does. He then points after the failure the people to a king who is never going to fail them, who is never going to leave them, who is not going to panic, who is there in the midst of the situation and will never leave. He's introducing them to a better king, a truer king, a king that will rule his people with great love, affection, counsel, who will rule actually rightly when that's what they needed, someone who would rule pleasantly over them. He would be the king of Israel and actually all of humanity and what everybody had been hoping and waiting for, this wonderful counselor, this everlasting father, this prince of peace, this mighty God. Isaiah 9-2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so this is 700 years before Jesus came that this was said. 700 years. I know we're waiting for things, you know, for Jesus to come in the midst of some of our problems, but the reality is we're probably not going to have to wait 700 years. I don't know. I don't think you're going to live that long. I'm not sure about your eating habits. Maybe you're on vegan, like, uh, in some amazing diet that's keeping you and lasting you. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's still 700 years is not going to, is not going to, you're not going to make it. So this is describing the state of life back then, though. It's described as dark. People were discouraged, and they were waiting. And there was even a moment of 400 years where they didn't even hear from God, where the point of Malachi to where Jesus came, there was silence. And throughout Scripture and throughout that time, people and nations were constantly given the opportunity to provide hope. Kings were given the opportunity to provide hope, but they only brought darkness, materialism, practices of the occult, sensuality, but then this king would come, as we see in Matthew 1, 21 to 23, and they would say this, you shall call this boy Emmanuel. Now, what does this hope give us? What does this hope mean for us? This hope gives us exactly what we need. Hope, it gives us life. It's a future reason that gives us purpose for the future. And so we've experienced the coming of Jesus. Maybe not personally, but we have the experience of relationship with Jesus because he has come. And we advance and we wait for him to come again. And we could be assured because he's come once before that he's coming again for us. And so what gave the Israelites hope was that there was a light coming, something in the future, something that they can actually look forward to, something that would provide them with everything that they needed. Because when we will look back and see how he's proven himself true, it helps us as we look forward. When we look back at this verse in Isaiah, why don't we see God, like God do something amazing like he had done previously in the Old Testament, right? We see he splits the sea and the enemy is washed away and we're like, this is amazing. We see battles won by God's people when they were completely outnumbered. And we're like, why isn't this, hap this happened in Isaiah? When you know what Ahaz was uh, up lifted out of his uh, rule, and then the, the Israelites were back into slavery. Why didn't God do something miraculous then? Because Isaiah gave them exactly what they needed, a promise that God was going to come in a mighty, mighty way. A promise is what they needed, a promise that, will not all, that it won't always actually be like this, that it always won't be dark. A promise that this will be fixed. So this prophecy actually helped them in their problem. 
And the problem was that we needed God with us. In sending Jesus, God was dealing with the first problem at its roots. Our problems, they are much deeper than an enemy army, you know, arrayed against us, or our health issues, or related relational conflicts, or economic needs. Yes, those are massive and huge problems, and Jesus is in those. But our first major problem that needed to be solved was that we needed God with us. That is our biggest need, that we were separate from him. Someone needed to come, so we were no longer separate. You imagine the darkness that they experienced not having God near. We go through our life now, and we feel the darkness, and we see it. But you know, we have the reality of Jesus with us, hope with us. So if he has come through in this area where we need him the most, the area where we needed him the most is this living relationship with us for that chasm to be filled, then we can trust and in those other issues of life, he's going to come through. We live on the other side of that prophecy that we've just read in Isaiah. We have seen hope fulfilled. Second thing is that we see that hope brings light to the darkness. We hear a lot of phrases about how light uh, brings hope. When you talk to somebody who's going through something, right, they're just, they'd say something like this, you know, I'm just waiting to see that light at the end of the tunnel. I'm assuming it means like, not, hopefully not Jesus, you know, Jesus take me now, but like they're hoping to see the other side of the problem. Like they're going to get through it. I need to see that light on the other side of the tunnel. Thinking about the floods, I remember the one time I was stuck in a flood, I was up working at a retirement resort. It was up on the hill. We had massive rains, uh, and it started to flood the valley that I lived in. And I remember getting down, and I only lived like 10 minutes away from where I worked, but I got down to the bottom of the hill, about five minutes away from my home, and I couldn't get home. And so I was like, well, if I take this road to the right, then, you know, I'll take this a long route around and eventually get to my house. So I go down this dark road, it's raining, and all of a sudden I hear, and I was like, what is this happening? And then I look down, and water is pouring into my vehicle, and it goes up to about the, just over my seat, and so it's now on my lap. And so then I get out of my vehicle, and my car is completely flooded, and I'm just stuck. What am I going to do? So then I, I have a phone, thankfully, whip it open, call, call my dad, and I'm like, hey, Dad, can you come get me? He's like, tell me where you are, I'll come and get you. Five minutes away from the house, it took my dad two hours to get to me. And I remember sitting in the rain. There's nowhere to go, nothing to do. And I walked to the end of the road, and I'm just waiting there. And a truck comes by, and these lights come. I'm like, oh, sweet, right? Hope. And this truck, it's a tow truck. I'm like, this is perfect. And he's like, can I help you? I'm like, yes, my vehicle is stuck down the road. I was like, can you pull me out? He's like, sure, do you have money on you? I'm like, oh, my goodness. I was like, I am here in my deepest of needs, stuck for two hours, shivering, and you're asking me if I have money, and I don't have money. And so I was like, don't worry, my dad should be here any second. Then the lights came again. Hope. Darkness. Lights. Hope. As we look in this verse in Isaiah, he says that the darkness will see a great light. One of the first indications of Christmas is lights. Everywhere seems to be wrapped in millions and millions of beautiful star little lights. We'll see them as we drive down streets in the night. And this is appropriate, right? Because December 25th usually follows the darkest time of the year. And in Europe, they would take, this is where these Christmas celebrations actually took place. The lights are not just decorative, they were actually symbolic, which is why we put them up all over our houses, because of the symbolism. 
Christmas contains many, many spiritual truths, but it's hard to grasp the others unless we grasp this one first. That is, the world is a dark place, and we will never find our way or see reality unless we first find the light, unless we first find that hope. In darkness, it was this key word used throughout the Old Testament, and it wasn't because they experienced 24 hours of darkness like Alaska does at some points, but darkness in the Bible, it meant this evil, this ignorance. It's the end of Isaiah 8, 19 to 22, that describes why we need the light. And it's going to pop up on the screen. In verses 19 to 20, it says, We see people consulting mediums and magicians instead of God. Then the chapter ends, Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. This is right before that prophecy of the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the almighty God coming. The people at this time were so desperate because they had been uprooted. They feel like they've been defeated and darkness is climbing all over them. And they begin to look into the world, to the mediums, to the magicians. And instead of God, they are looking to the world to help fill the hope that they need. And Isaiah comes with this prophecy of the great hope that will be there. And maybe this is you. I'm not sure where you're at right now. Maybe you're looking for something to give you hope. Maybe a spouse, maybe a friend, maybe wealth, maybe status. But all of those things, they are perishable and they continue to go away. Uh, money comes into the bank, my bank account the minute, the beginning of the month, and then it's gone by the end of the month. And so it's perishable. It goes away. And even with all these things, and we feel like we're advancing as a world, depression is at an all-time high. Loneliness is at an all-time high and on the rise. We might feel like we're advancing in the world and people are finding hope in it, but actually what's actually increasing as we find those pleasures in the world is depression, loneliness, isolation, a feeling of helplessness. What's going on? People are looking towards the earth into human resources to fix the world. They're looking to the experts, to the mystics, to the scholars for solutions. One of my favorite things is how the Bible connects from old to new. As we read Matthew chapter 2, we come along and we see that the Magi, you know, they come to find the king of the Jews. They follow the star. They follow the light. Because they saw it. They saw the star in the sky. They knew of the prophecies. I connect with the Magi. The Magi... They're the first Gentiles, people like you and I, to come and to worship God, to worship Jesus. There are people looking for hope. Some of us, we can connect our stories with the Magi. Wanderers, maybe they feel, they felt like they were the wisest of men, but still they were looking for the light. Still they were looking for the answer to life. Still they saw that star in the sky and they knew it brought hope. And this is just like me and you. We have wandered. Some of us, I hope all of us, we've encountered the light, the hope that was promised. Because in Isaiah 8, 19 to 22, it says, we see people coming to magicians for answers. In Isaiah 8, 19 to 22, but in Matthew, we actually see the magi following the light for answers. Isn't that a beautiful kind of change? In the Old Testament, the people were looking for the magi for the answers. Give us the answer. We need you. Mystify us. Give us hope. But when Jesus came, it was the Magi who were looking for the answer to life. 
There are no answers for what you're longing for that we can find in this world. What we're all hoping for is Jesus. In John 1.9, it says that the true light that gives light to everyone was coming to the world. He is the true hope that gives hope to everyone. And we feel like we are in darkness sometimes. We feel sometimes that hopelessness. Show me a day in our world where there's not bad news. It is hard to find. It is full of it. We live in a world of darkness. The beauty of what we live in right now is that a light has shined, a light has come, a hope that we can live, we can grasp on forever. He's Emmanuel. He is with us right now. We've seen that he's come before, and we know the promises that he's coming again, and we can hold on to that hope and live in this world of darkness, being the light in darkness times. And we've seen it even through this past week. In the midst of darkness that people are experiencing within floods and being uplifted, uprooted out of their homes, a great light has shone through, some, through our church. The last thing we see is that hope, it has a name. There is this hunger for hope during this time. As we mentioned before, hope seems at Christmas time to rise. Rise up within a lot of people. And actually, we see people do amazing things. We see food drives take place. You know, the, the giving that takes place at this time is amazing. And it's absolutely what Christ is really he's called us to do as believers, as a body. A lot of people think, you know, Hope's name is Christmas. That you get this one month out of the year, maybe two for some people, maybe three for some people. I don't know. That just everything changes. The Spirit's lifted up. As I mentioned, when hope was described in the Old Testament, it meant to wait. Every time it was there, it meant to wait, to wait, to long, to feel the tension. There's something coming. There was anticipation, and anticipation attacked, attached to this hope. The word for hope in the New Testament that's used is elpis, and it is based on a person. Max Lucatus said this, when Jesus was born, so was hope. I think it's that simple. I could have just did that for the message, and maybe that would have been it, and we could have been out chatting, having a good time. When Jesus was born, so was hope. You see, my hope that Christmas, my hope that Christmas when I wanted to get clothes was actually optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out uh, for the best. But biblical hope isn't focused on circumstances. It isn't uncertain. Hope in biblical hope isn't optimism. It is a person. Hebrews 6.19 says, Our hope is certain. It is something for the soul to hold on to. It is strong and secure. So if we are going through something right now, we can celebrate the answer even though we don't know what the answer will be because we have hope in a person who says he's there for us, who has come to save us. We know our hope is in Jesus, and he is hope, and he has provided himself as the one that we can trust, the one that we can look to, and so without Jesus, we act, there's actually no hope. Hope in Jesus is about certainty. Normally when we express hope, as I mentioned, it's about uncertainty. I hope he gets home. I hope she likes me. I hope I get a raise. I hope I have a good day. But hope in Jesus is a confident expectation for something good in the future 
because of who Jesus is. We can have confidence because of who Jesus is. It's very certain our hope in Jesus. Because Jesus, our hope, he does something and he has done something. He has defeated fear. He has defeated loneliness. He has defeated darkness. In Isaiah, it says our hope of Jesus is this. It's everlasting Father. And Josh, you can come up and your team. You can play softly as I close here. And Isaiah, it says, our hope of Jesus is everlasting Father. So if you're going through something right now, you have a Father who actually promises to never leave you nor forsake you. A Father who is never absent. He hears you when you cry. And just like he was there for his people, the people of Israel, and promised to send a Savior, he promises that your cries will not fall on deaf ears. Our hope is everlasting Father, always there with us. And Isaiah described our hope as wonderful counselor. So if you feel hopeless, the word wonderful actually, it goes, this description means to go beyond. And the word counselor means God. So he's a guide who goes beyond all of our expectations. And he leads us. So you can bring him the worst of your problems and he will guide you through it. And he'll take you beyond what you were ever expecting. In Hebrews, it says that we, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. And we can see that in our world where we have rulers who we feel can't sympathize with us, who can't connect with us. But our high priest, our ruler, our defender, our leader, our hope, he respects and loves and cares for us. And he sees us as blameless. Isaiah described our hope as Prince of Peace. And he stepped in as a ruler of the world and will bring this kingdom of peace. And so when we feel the strenuous tension of life, when we feel unrested, we know we have a Prince of Peace. Our hope is Prince of Peace. And finally, he described our hope as an almighty God. He is the great I am. And in scriptures, we see all these I am statements. He says, I am the provider our hope provides. Our shepherd, he provides. I am righteousness. I am your defender. I am healer. Our hope is everything to us. He is very certain. He is not uncertain. We can put our faith in him because our hope has a name and he shall be called Jesus. Jesus didn't come to tell us the answers to all the questions in lives. I know we have a lot of questions. I've got a lot of questions. He simply came to be the answer. The answer is Jesus. It feels so Sunday school, but it's so true and something that we always need to grasp onto it when we're going through life. Jesus, our hope, the answer, everything we're looking for, our Prince of Peace, our wonderful counselor, our almighty God. You see, hope leads us somewhere. We need hope in order to experience peace, joy, and love. Things that we're talking about through these coming weeks. And now the hope, the hope of the birth that Jesus gave leads us to the cross. The hope that we need, the hope that we're longing for, the hope that actually what the spirit of Christmas that can't bring is Jesus. That's what we need. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. 
Lord, that you came into the darkness and you shined a great light through the birth of Jesus. Even though we feel that darkness is around us, that surrounds us, that it's coming against us, we have the light of the world with us. Emmanuel, God with us. The hope of the world. So we can look back on this story in Isaiah. We can see when it felt so uncertain, but we can see the certainty of Jesus here with us. And we can hold on to that as we move forward in this life, knowing my hope is in the form of a name, and his name is Jesus. So whatever we're going through right now, whatever we're hoping for changes in the next two or three weeks, we have Jesus, and we can rest assured that he is there with us. He's fighting our battles. He's our defender. He's our healer. He's our provider. Man, what a wonderful name, the name of Jesus. Our hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. So we celebrate it. We worship you, Father, because of what you bring. And we thank you for what you provide through your birth, through your death, through your resurrection. And that is a great life.